Welcome to this week's Thirsty Podcast. I am Pastor Michael Zarling. And I am Pastor Nathan Klusmeyer. So we are here in our pit of despair at Water of Life Lutheran Church in Racine as we're looking at the theme for this week of a time for watchfulness. What are we watching for, Nathan? We are watching for the Lord's return. That's a good thing. It is a good thing. <laughs> and and it, it's, it's almost that's what the themes of the lessons focus on, is that's <laughs> a good thing. And the reason I, I bring it up that it's a good thing is in one of the adult confirmation classes that I had written, I, I had written it based on the our Lutheran order of service or Lutheran liturgy, going from the invocation to the benediction, from the beginning to the end of the service. And it's called In the House of the Lord. And, and with that, I added two lessons. One was on marriage, so we went through the marriage rite so we could talk about marriage and the roles of men and women. And then the other one was on the funeral rite so that we could talk about judgment day and so forth. But that was the question a lot of people had is, is this going to be scary? And they were scared about Judgment Day until they went through the class, and then they look forward to it. And I think people naturally, there's a lot of stuff in Scripture that makes it sound like the end of the world is going to be frightening. Uh, and then, two, our personal end of the world when we die also is frightening until we realize that we have that hope of resurrection in Christ. But even still, I mean, it's scary. Death is a big change. It's probably the biggest change you're going to go through. I was just going to say in your life, but it's not really in <laughs> your life at the end of your life. And yeah, it's an ending of one thing and the start of something new. And that is scary for people. Right. So the way we're going to do today's podcast is a little bit different in that uh, I happen to be doing the chapel devotion at Shoreland Lutheran High School next week for the students on the first reading from Isaiah chapter 52. So I'm kind of just kind of walk through my devotion and then Nathan's going to add a little bit. And then he's preaching on the gospel lesson and then he'll share portions of his sermon, I'm sure, or at least his thoughts. And then I'll just add a little bit. So it won't be so much the give and take that we have in the other episodes. So the first reading is from Isaiah 52 verses 1 through 6. Isaiah writes, Wake, awake, Clothe yourself with strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments. Jerusalem, you holy city, for never again will the uncircumcised and the unclean enter you. Shake off the dust. Get up and take your seat, Jerusalem. Loosen the chains from your neck, you captive daughter of Zion. Yes, this is what the Lord says. You were sold for nothing, and you will be redeemed without money. Yes, this is what the Lord God says. In the beginning, my people went down to Egypt to stay there for a while. Later, Assyria oppressed them without cause. Now what do I have here, declares the Lord. Indeed, my people have been taken away for nothing. Their rulers howl with mockery, declares the Lord. My name is continually despised all day. Therefore, my people will know my name. So on that day, they will know that I am the one, the one who is saying, here I am. So Nathan, what are some ways that you have used to waken up your children in the morning over the years? Uh, one of my personal favorites is, uh, you know, how some people, when they have cats that are misbehaving, they have these spray bottles of cold water. That is by far my preferred method to wake up um, my children, especially my, my middle son, who 
God bless him, does not get out of bed. His mother usually, and I usually, three, four times we go wake him up, and he just does not get out of bed. And I tell him, you're 15. You need to be doing this on your own. And he's I just can't. Like, what the? Okay. I just the other one I really like because he wants to go in the military. So every once in a while I get a speaker and play Reveille really loud in his room. He doesn't like that either. Yeah. Uh, when I used to do a camp called Training Camp uh, down at YMCA Camp Duncan in Ingleside, Illinois, I had the little boys uh, in our cabin, the third through fifth and sixth graders. And I would get them up, and, and I've, I've already been up for a while, gone on a bike ride or so forth, and then come back, and then I'm playing the Rocky theme real loudly just to get them up. But my favorite ways of waking up my four daughters over the years, when they were little, and I was very nice and kind to them, and I would say, wakey, wakey, chicken bakey. And then when they got older, then I wasn't quite as nice, and I would let their little sisters come in or the dogs come in and jump on them. And then as they were a little bit older yet, I would come in, I would come up real close to the bed, and I'd yell, earthquake! And then I'd put my hands on their bed and try to see how high I could bounce them off the bed. Now that only Bella's at home, and she's a senior in high school, she has a loft bed, and so I can't do earthquake anymore because her bed is above my head. Uh, so uh, there is just waking her up, opening the door, saying wake up, or turning the light on, and so forth. But I bring that up because the first words in Isaiah 52 is wake, awake. And when I talk to the teens about waking up, it's because a lot of times we as people, and especially maybe as teenagers, just feel like we're sleepwalking through life. And it's sleepwalking because of sadness, melancholy, even clinical depression. Because we all feel this way, but especially teenagers. And then I'll share with them some examples of that. You know, I think of uh, that you and I and Pastor Lightning, we have our uh, special Thirsty podcast every month where we answer questions from our teens. And I think of three of them. One was from a young lady that asked, what do I do with feelings of depression? And then she followed up, what do I do with feelings of suicide? Someone else asked, well, what, what uh, do emotions, how do they play into our faith? And so it's good for us as pastors to wrestle with those and give those questions some good answers. I think of a dad that I found that he found his son, who is an older teenager, like a freshman in college, and the dad confronted him with, his alcoholism, already at that tender age. And the son said, Dad, do you know why I drink so much? And the dad said, no. And he said, so I don't have to feel. And the dad just prayed, God, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to help my young son. Or I think of a, a young lady who had an eating disorder. And her mom took, her parents took her to the Christian counselor. <laughs> she did not want to be there. So for three sessions, she did not say anything. And the Christian culture just sat there, ready to listen. And the fourth session, finally, she opened up and he was there to listen. I know in my ministry, I've ministered to a young lady who felt that she was very ugly and she was cutting herself. I ministered to a mom and her son where she called me at midnight in a panic because she found that her son had tried to commit suicide. 
And the next day I met with them in our office and uh, he came in and he had a red mark across his neck where he had tried to slit his throat. So I don't know if you have anything you want to add to with sadness, melancholy, depression. No, and it's just something I think a lot of people struggle with. I know I sometimes struggle with it myself. You kind of get into a funk and you really do feel like you're kind of sleepwalking through life where everything's just kind of the same. It's gray. It's sad. Um, and that's just kind of the way the way things are. Um, and especially some of us who have more of a, a uh, well, I don't say pessimistic. I don't believe I have a pessimistic outlook on life. I believe I have a realistic <laughs> outlook on life. Um, but yeah, it's kind of hard. You know, people who aren't, what did you say the other day? You said, I am not a rah-rah person. I am not a rah-rah person. Um, and so it can sometimes be a struggle just to be, to be happy, to be upbeat. And yeah, and it's very easy to slip into those feelings of just everything's awful, everything's terrible, nothing's going to get better. And to feel like you're all alone dealing with that. Yeah. And that's why I want to share this, especially with the teenagers, because we all feel these, these kind of feelings, some more than others. And then especially right now, the teenagers. And when I shared these devotional thoughts with someone who is several decades out of his teen years, but I know he has struggled and continues to struggle with these feelings of sadness and melancholy and even depression. And he even said that he has uh, attempted suicide several times. And I asked him for advice on the devotion. He said, no, Pastor, everything you were saying is right. Maybe the only thing I'd add is, how do I feel happy when I don't feel that God is real? I said, okay, I'll, I'll add that. And the reason I talk about all of these things is because I believe that what Isaiah is talking about here to the children of Israel is they are having these feelings of sadness, melancholy, and even clinical depression. They have been carried off into captivity numerous times, first by the Egyptians, later by the Assyrians, and now they are in captivity by the Babylonians. And while they're in that captivity, they can feel like they're wearing their old, worn-out, ripped garments, uh, that they are hanging around with all of the uncircumcised, the pagans, they're covered with dust and ashes, mourning and souring, uh, souring over their sins, that they're not going to be able to return to their uh, loving capital city where the temple is of Jerusalem, that they are captive daughters of Zion. They have been sold for nothing into this slavery uh, and that they are all alone. And yet, just to go over these verses again, Isaiah says, in speaking the words that the Holy Spirit gives him, uh, clothe yourself with strength. They get to put on brand new garments uh, very soon. They're going to be able to return to Jerusalem, the holy city, and more than that, to Zion, the holy city in heaven. Uh, there, those unclean, the uncircumcised, the pagans, are not going to enter the heavenly Zion. Here on earth, they can, shuck, they can shake off that dust and ashes of mourning over their sin after they have mourned and then put on that oil of gladness as Isaiah says, says elsewhere and their uh, white robes of righteousness. They get to loosen the chains around their neck because very soon they are going to be freed from their captivity. 
they have, it may have been sold for nothing, and yet God will also uh, free them, but not paying the Babylonians now and then the Persians anything. Jesus pays the ransom price ultimately for their spiritual freedom. And he pays it not to the devil, but he pays it to God the Father. And then at the end he says, here I am. And that is their greatest comfort and their greatest blessing. And then eventually and eternally they will be in the heavenly Zion, the new Jerusalem in heaven, and their God will be able to say, here I am. They'll be able to say, here I am with the Savior, the Lamb, and Shepherd around his throne. Anything you want to add to that before I apply it to the, the teens? No, other than what you were saying about you know them having sadness in while they were in captivity made me think of, I was just looking at this the other day for something else, but Psalm 137, um, where we have some of the temple musicians and the Babylonians seem to be there saying, oh, come on, sing us some of those songs you used to sing back at your temple. And their response in verse 4 is, how can we sing? Um, Just that that joy had been gone from their lives, that they were weeping, that they were in mourning, and that we, we can't sing songs of praise right now because we are just so sad mourning over what we have lost. Yeah, And then... Applying it to the teens, as again, just going through the verses with them for Wednesday's chapel is, uh, Lord willing, they will be able to replace their sadness and melancholy and even depression by remembering to uh, confess their sins with the dust and ashes. And then they can rejoice with the oil of gladness of Christ's forgiveness, and they can be clothed with their white baptismal gowns as they remember their baptism, even though they may not remember it as infants, that they'd be putting on their beautiful garments as God's saints. And one day, they will be perfect saints in the new Jerusalem of Zion. Uh, They can get up and take their seat in that new Jerusalem, that they don't have to feel like they are captives to their sinful nature. They have been freed from the devil. They don't have to give in to his temptations. Instead, they are now sanctified. They have been bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. They belong to him. And then this is where they find their their gladness. And they are no longer those captives. And here God says, here I am. And then thinking of those illustrations that I used in the beginning, I'll, I'll wrap it up by saying, for uh, those young teens who are asking questions for our podcast, I encourage teens to listen to them. For all of you who are adults, listen to the podcast. Be able to uh, share answers. And then uh, I, I pray for our teens to be able to trust their pastors and their teachers enough to go and talk to them, to go and talk to their friends about these things, but especially for our teens to be able to have a great relationship with their parents so they can dump on them. They can tell them anything. And the parents aren't going to judge them harshly, but are going to listen. Uh, for uh, the teen that is thinking about you know, cutting themselves uh, and even thoughts of suicide is to be able to be willing to open up and then go to a Christian counselor. Uh, and then, again, go to pastors, go to their teachers, go to their, uh, go to their parents 
and there the parents may not know what to say. The pastors or teachers may not know what to say, and that's okay. Keep going to them. And then uh, sometimes you just go to God. It may seem like God isn't saying anything, but he can be like that Christian counselor that just wants you to pour your hearts out to them, dump everything on God. God can handle it. And then for those teens that might be wondering, how can I ever be happy when I feel so alone? I feel alone, separated from my friends, my family, even from my God. This is the beautiful thing where God says, here I am. And so he's saying to to all of us, but especially in this devotion with the teens, he's saying, wake up. And I don't think he's saying, wake up by turning on the light or spraying water or uh, the one that comes to mind. The worst way of waking up is, I remember freshman year of college, that we had some older upperclassmen, I won't tell the teens this, that they, I'll say they came in at 2.30 in the morning. I, I'll tell you on the our listeners, they came in from the bar and they waved my roommate. You know what waving is, Nathan? I do not. So that's good. Uh, waving is that they had a five-gallon bucket of water <laughs> and at 2.30 in the morning, they dumped all of it upon my roommate. Well, I obviously woke up too because I woke up to him screaming <laughs> and then running away laughing and then... Uh, staying up the rest of the early morning hours, getting a mop and bucket, cleaning up everything, drying his, uh, you know, all of his pajamas, his bed clothes, and so forth. Because when you're a guy, you don't really take a whole lot of extra bed clothes and so forth. You you use what you have and you wash it and then you reuse it right away. Uh, God doesn't wake us up that way. I think He's the gentle Father coming in and just kind of gently shaking our shoulder and saying, "Wake up." You know, you don't have to go through life with sadness and melancholy and depression and just sleepwalking. Uh, you can uh, be, rejoice because God says, "Here I am." Anything you have? Those are my those are my devotional thoughts. No, I don't think I have anything else really to add to that that section of scripture. Other than I just love that verse three, that you were you were sold for nothing; you will be redeemed without money. Um, and then that plays into, uh, now I'm blanking, if it's earlier or later in Isaiah, where the Lord gives that wonderful gospel, come, buy food, but not with money, because the Lord is giving it to you for free. And just that idea of God's giving us these things that we can't buy on our own. They are p- gifts of pure grace. Yeah, and then that's again in Revelation, I think chapter 21 or 22. And that's where in Revelation 21 and 22, you're also going to see the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. All right. Uh, So then uh, let's get into the gospel lesson. So Nathan, if you want to read Matthew 25. Yeah, from Matthew 25, starting at verse 1. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish ones took their lamps, they did not take any oil with them, but the wise took oil in their containers with their lamps. While the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. But at midnight there was a shout, Look, the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, because our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, No, there may not be enough for us and for you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. 
But while they were away buying oil, the bridegroom came. Those who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the other virgins also came, and they said, Lord, Lord, let us in. But he answered, Amen, I tell you, I do not know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. So what kind of thoughts do you have since I was talking more on the Old Testament lesson? So I really, since this Sunday falls in with the old end times, this would be last judgment. Um, This really is a last judgment text. And I think in order to understand the full impact of this, you have to kind of go back a chapter in Matthew. So again, this is kind of during those long discourses that Jesus is having during Holy Week. And as Jesus and his disciples are leaving the grounds of the temple, the disciples are looking around at all the improvements that Herod had made and said, Lord, look look at these buildings. Isn't this amazing? And Jesus makes that prediction that Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. And so then the disciples ask, well, when is this going to happen? And then Jesus kind of talks about the signs of the end of the world. These are the things you should look for. Wars, famine, um, persecution, all of those things that Christ talks about. And then he gives a couple of parables all on the idea of being watchful and being ready. And so with this, he's using that idea of being watchful and being ready of Ten young ladies, ten virgins, who are waiting for the wedding party to start. Uh, And so it's, you know, the wedding party is starting at midnight. I don't know who starts their wedding at midnight. Well, from what I was reading, typically Jewish weddings were held in the evening, but that there's, yeah, there's this long protracted delay. So it wouldn't have been normal to start at midnight. It would have been earlier in the evening, but when it was still dark out, which is why they would have lamps to escort the bridegroom in the festal procession, but something happened where he's delayed, and so it's... They're probably, like any wedding that you and I go to, and then the younger people in the wedding party, we're always waiting for the the wedding party to start because they're off getting their pictures taken and so forth, and so the wedding starts like an hour or two later. So what it so seemed, maybe they were just taking pictures. That could be what it was. Uh, so what it seems happens, though, is that, and the commentators I read were kind of all over the place on this, on whether the foolish virgins had lamps with absolutely no oil whatsoever, or if they had enough oil to begin with, but then because there was such a long delay, they ran out. Um, I kind of lean that way in this interpretation and kind of see it as similar to um, the parable of the sower and the seed that Jesus again here is talking about. This is a parable to believers and that there are some believers who they have faith. They were believers, but for whatever reason, they eventually fall away. Um, And I think that's the point that Jesus is saying, be watchful because we don't know the day or hour. We don't know the day or hour when Christ is going to return. We don't know the day or hour of our own death of when we are going to die. Um, And so it's to to be prepared to not let ourselves be distracted by all of the things that are clamoring for our attention. 
And here I want to encourage our listeners of the Thirsty Podcast to also listen to our hymn devotions that Nathan and I and the two First Evan pastors, John and Drew, write every week. And we share those with our Wisconsin Lutheran School parents so that they can read them to and with their kids or listen to the podcast. And I did the hymn devotion for this week on Rejoice, Rejoice Believers, which is based on this gospel lesson from Matthew 15. And there I talk about how uh, maybe these ladies, these five of them, they they had their oil lamps, but they didn't take an extra mason jar of oil with them because it would have clashed with their dresses. Whereas the foolish virgins, they don't care. They'd rather be wise and look foolish. Kind of like, it just just came to me. It's kind of like dad's in their cargo shorts, you know, because that way, or, you know, moms with their purses or uh, d- young moms and dads with their uh, baby bags and so forth, you know, you have everything you need. And so, you know, dad with his cargo shorts, he's got, hey, you need a knife? I've got one here. Hey, you need some fishing line? I've got it in here. You need whatever? I've got it here. And the same way with women. And it's not fashionable, although, I, I think we probably look pretty good in our car- cargo shorts. But young people would think we, we don't. They want the skinnier shorts and so forth. And then when they need something, they don't have it, but we do. And that's what my theme is. My theme is be prepared, not surprised. Um, and the idea of you know how do we, how do we prepare ourselves uh, for the Lord's coming? Um, uh, where You can use my example. You can tell them wear cargo shorts. You're right. I, I could I could do that <laughs> yes. if I so choose. Um, but yeah, this idea of being prepared and then talking about like specific law. My law is going to be the things that distract us. Are we distracted by, you know, not doing the things that prepare us? Do, what do we let ourselves, what do we give higher importance than God's word? Um, what sins do we have that distract us away from being prepared and thinking, well, I can do this at this time. Or, um, you know, an application to some people. Well, I'm in church. I'm here. I'm a Lutheran. I'm baptized. But are you prepared? Or are you trusting, are you putting your faith in that connection you have to the church where really you're not, you're not alive, you're not living your faith, you are just, you're just, Asleep, as we talked about from the first one. You're basically sleepwalking through your life of faith. You're not doing those things to be prepared. Yeah, and with this, to understand, too, is, you know, both sets of ladies are believers, you know, when we're applying it, right? So it's not like you have the pagans and the believers. It's the, the believers, and then some believers are more prepared. And with these ladies they're not supposed to be surprised that it's going to take long and that they're supposed to be bringing extra oil. It's not like the five ladies are just wise because, hey, he might take a little longer to get here. Maybe I'm going to be prepared. No, it was they were supposed to be prepared because you might, uh, it might take a while. Again, like our weddings that you, you might want to eat something before you go to the wedding for the meal because you might be there for an extra hour or so before the wedding party shows up. Those that are uh, prepared, you know, they're ready to go. And what you were saying before, too, about being distracted. You know, think of 
some things that might distract us. I think the biggest thing that would fit pretty much any age is just doom scrolling on our phones. <laughs> Although I mentioned that in a Bible study. No, I mentioned that in a sermon and several months ago, and then I had some younger adults in my adult confirmation class right after worship, and they said, Pastor, we were probably the only ones in the church that understood <laughs> what doom scrolling was, but we, we appreciated it. So doom scrolling is just you're on your phone, you're on social media, and you're just using your thumb and going up and looking at things, not really reading anything, and we just waste time, whether it's on for older people, Facebook, when it's younger people, Snapchat and TikTok, and you're not learning anything. You're just wasting time. Yeah, and I think of, I mean, I got to flesh out my law a little bit more, but yeah, all those distractions that are there. But speaking of the law, um, since this is a warning to people who are believers, that inc- those two harsh, terrifying statements, one, the door is shut. And then two, when the virgins come back and say, Lord, let us in. And Jesus' response, I don't know you. Um, You think about what that statement says right there, that those who are not prepared on the day of judgment or on the day of their death, heaven is locked. If you don't have faith, you're not getting into heaven. And to say, well, Lord, I I was a Lutheran. I was baptized in the church. You didn't have faith. You didn't believe. You let the cares of the world lead you away. And maybe from outward appearances, you were a Christian, but you didn't have any actual faith. I don't know you. Uh, what a what a terrifying statement from our Lord that those are gone. Um, I was reading some who think it's kind of harsh that you have the five wise version when the five foolish ones say, hey, give us some of your oil. And they say, no, there's not enough. Well, from a spiritual standpoint, we can't believe for someone else. We Now, understand this correctly. We can't share our faith in the sense that I can't give you some of my faith. I can share the message of the gospel, and you can believe it, but I can't give you my belief. I heard a good analogy on this where, you know, give it a modern twist and say that instead of having torches, they had flashlights. And, you know, a lot of flashlights used to have two batteries in them. And, well, if the other one, well, give us one of your batteries. That's not going to work. You, you need the amount, and that's what the virgins are, the five wise virgins are saying. We have enough for us. We can't do this for you. And then, again, this is an instance where you, you have to stick with the main point of Jesus' parable and not try to hammer down exactly what every single detail is. Because some have gotten into trouble saying, well, is this saying you can go buy faith? And no, <laughs> that is not the point of this parable. The point of the parable is be ready to meet the Lord. Don't be complacent. Be prepared. Live your faith. Stay rooted in God's word. Don't just think that, again, well, because I'm a Lutheran, that's good enough, I'm in. But then you're not living the life as a Christian. You may be in name a Christian, but in reality, you're an unbeliever. And that's the warning of this parable. Yeah, talking about being ready, being prepared. I had a conversation with the a young man that was over our house. My daughter, Belle, is on the cross-country team, and she was making cupcakes and then frosting them for the cross-country banquet that was last night. And one of the her teammates was over helping her with it. And Belle said, he doesn't know anything about the kitchen. And so I was telling him that when I was growing up, and I'm the oldest of three children, I've got two younger sisters, And my mom made sure that I knew how to cook. 
and, and bake so that in case I w- ended up being single. And then same thing with like doing laundry, uh, ba- you know, like I said, baking, cooking, all those kinds of things so that now I can cook. Uh, I don't like cooking too much because it just takes time. It needs to have less than five ingredients. Uh, I did do some baking. One of our me- members generously gave us a bunch of apples, so I did some baking uh, this week and made all kinds of apple bread and apple oat muffins and so forth because I know how to do it. Uh, in 4-H, when I was a kid, I made Big Bad Wolf brownies because we had a Mickey, Mickey Mouse and Walt Disney World uh, cookbook, and that was one of the things I made for... Uh, for 4-H to be judged. And I told my daughter Miriam and her boyfriend Mark when they get married, I said, I can do your wedding cake for you because I was the grand champion of cake decorating when I was 13. I said, but it has to be a cake with a a tree house on it. And I said, why a tree house? Because that's what I won with. I made a tree house out of uh, pretzel rods and then frosting and so forth. And it was, it was good. It was probably the best or equal to the best cakes there, but I was also a boy, so that's why I got the grand champion. And they said, well, maybe we'll have someone else do the thing. So I learned how to do all of that except for maybe the laundry. But I was telling this young boy, you need to be prepared because there may be a time when you don't have your mom to take care of you to do all of these things, and so you need to learn to do them now. Yeah. Excuse me, I'm uh, I'm o- getting over a cold, so that's why I kind of cut out here a little bit every once in a while. Um, yeah, that idea of preparation is so important, and I sometimes wonder if I have failed to prepare my children adequately for life. And then there's other times where I think of my daughter, and I've showed her at least 30 times how to use the washing machine, and God bless her. The different dials just confuse her, and she turns things in weird places, and I don't <laughs> know why. I'm like, just don't touch it. It's set. Just put the clothes in, add the detergent, and then I come down, and it's on weird settings, and I don't, I don't understand why. So you were talking before, Nathan, about you know, pressing the details in this pair, but one I wanted to ask you about is pressing one detail. What is the oil in the lamp. What is that representing for us? That was one a number of commentators said, stay away from and don't don't say what it is because it it seems to be it seems to be faith. Yeah. Is what it seems I, to I, be. I think it's faith and works. It, but without pushing yeah. everything like, well, you know, what is faith contained in that's that's not the point. I think it's the point is is having that oil of being being ready. And I think it's less about the oil in this parable and more the general the general attitude of being prepared for Christ's return. Because we don't know the day and the hour. And then kind of Paul you know, the the epistle lesson for this week kind of ties in then what that preparation looks like and talks about what a Christian life looks like, what it means to be prepared. It means to at any moment to be ready for the Lord's return. Now, this doesn't mean like some have argued that, well, say Jesus returns and I'm in the middle of committing a sin. Does that mean in that moment I'm now an unbeliever because I wasn't ready? No, that's not how, that's not how faith works. Because as Christians, we still have the old, nat- 
soul, old nature and fall into sins of weakness. Now, if we persist in those sins, they can erode our faith. But no, in a moment of weakness, that does not negate what Christ has done for us. But it's still that idea. We should be living a Christian life. We should be living our lives of sanctification, ready for the Lord's return so that we're not taken by by surprise. Yeah, and the way, the way that I took this in the hymn devotion I had written is, you know, filling up that oil, and then uh, the oil would be uh, reading and listening to devotions like this one, uh, attending your church's Bible study, having your kids in Sunday school, sitting in the church in the pews with them, hearing God's word explained and applied to you and them. We listened to Martin Luther, who encouraged us to say his morning and evening prayers, the Apostles' Creed and the Lord's Prayer, to remember our baptism, to receive the Lord's Supper. I think those are all ways of keeping that oil filled up and then taking it extra with us. And then the works of letting the, the faith light shine is just letting those things uh, show. You know, might be in uh, other examples I talked about in that devotion would be you know, maybe we look foolish because we're getting up on Sunday morning when our neighbors are all sleeping in, that we're the ones that are telling the uh, basketball coach, uh, my daughter's not going to be there on Wednesday evenings in November and December because we have midweek Advent services later on for Lenten services, that we're crying at our grandmother's funeral, but not crying as those who have no hope, but we are crying with the tears of joy where our unbelieving family are just weeping because they miss their lovely grandmother because they're never going to see her again because they're unbelievers. But all of those ways are because we have a filled up oil. Now we're letting our light shine so that like you said, we're, we can't give them our faith, but we can show our faith so that they want what we have. And I think what's important to remember with this gospel, too, because it, it is a gospel of, of warning, but not to miss the beautiful picture that's there as well with the five wise virgins. We have been invited to the wedding banquet of the Lamb. We did nothing to earn that invitation. That invitation has been given to us. And to think about being prepared in the sense of, well, do you, do you begrudge the bride and groom when you've been invited to a wedding, when you get ready to go to that wedding? No, you're excited. You're happy to do those things to get ready because you've been invited to this great celebration. And that's what we have as Christians. We have been invited to a glorious celebration um, in heaven for eternity. And so we are happy to do the things to get ready to greet our king, to live our lives of faith, not because we have to, because we, we want to. We want to be like the five wise virgins who are excited and prepared, not knowing how long it's going to take. But when he does show up to be there, to greet him with open arms, to march with him in that glorious procession into heaven. Right, and so as you're listening to your pastor preach on this text on Sunday, understand that it's going to be a sanctification sermon. And so we're... Does the justification come in? Well, we're bringing it in from elsewhere, yep. understanding that Jesus is the bridegroom. He is a long time in coming, according to our way of thinking, as it says elsewhere in Scripture that for the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. You know, God's an eternity, and uh, where an eternity is like 
the blink of an eye for us, or eternity is like a thousand years for us. Okay, really messes with your mind. And so, uh, Jesus is the bridegroom. That means you and I are the bride of the Christian church. We get to be invited into that wedding feast of the Lamb. That's in Matthew 23. I had the privilege of preaching for a funeral yesterday, a very small funeral, uh, nine people at the funeral. But being able to say with about Jean, the saint who is now in heaven, that uh, the good shepherd, Jean's good shepherd, had walked through the dark valley of the shadow of death with Jean on October 17th when he died because Jesus knew the way. He had walked through that dark valley of the shadow of death on his own with his crucifixion. And then with his resurrection, he walked into the green pastures and quiet waters of paradise so that he could walk Gene through those green pastures and quiet waters from Matthew 23. And then uh, saying in the sermon that the Lord then seated Gene next to his wife, Judy, who had passed away in 2011 at the marriage feast of the Lamb this wedding banquet and where they are the honored guests along with the rest of God's saints. That the way I picture it is, you know, an angel giving Gene a white robe to wear. Uh, so he looks like the other white robe saints, a saint handing him one of the crowns to wear, uh, another saint giving him a palm branch to wear. And then he's doing all of that around the throne of Jesus as the good shepherd because he is the bridegroom and we get invited to that marriage feast. And that's in Psalm 23. It's elsewhere in Isaiah. It's in Revelation. But those are the gospel thoughts of justification that your pastor will be bringing into the sermon that then leads to the sanctification. Yeah. And I, Again, like I said, it's a psalm, or it's not a psalm. It is a story of warning. But yeah, too, not to not to miss that beautiful message that, you know, we are if we're prepared to meet the Lord, we will meet him and journey into heaven with him. And again, not to focus too much on the, well, if you're prepared, then you get to go to heaven. But no, Christ has extended this invitation to us by his grace, and now we prepare ourselves to go to heaven with him. Yeah, and as I heard on another podcast, this is really a good sermon uh, for those who are straying from the church. The only problem is, if they're straying from the church, they're not in the church. Yeah, they're not going to be in the church. This is a good uh, textual for all of us, but this is a good one for the elders, the pastor, for members to go one to one uh, to go and talk to your straying family or friends or your own. Uh, or, or fellow members. Like yesterday with that funeral, the son and daughter I have not seen in church in well over a decade for the daughter and her husband that I married. Uh, oh, I married them in 2011. They were talking about how uh, I married them. Their mom was dealing with cancer. She didn't make it to the to the wedding. And then two days later, Dot, God took her home to heaven. I haven't seen them in church since. The son I never saw. But one of, uh, one of our couples was at the funeral, and when they were greeting the son and daughter, I overheard them saying, oh, we look forward to seeing you in church. And that's just a gentle reminder. Now, uh, they don't know the son and daughter very well, but if you know 
people very well. It's This is a good text for you to be able to sit down and explain it to them that uh, not to say patting yourself on the back, well, I'm, I'm a wise virgin and you're a foolish virgin, but ask them, where do you think you fit in this parable? And that's the trick, too, with preaching this, is to also bring in some sharp law um, so you don't have people sitting in church going, well, thanks, Pastor. I feel pretty good today. I am. I've got my extra jar of oil. And to say, no, you know, you who are sitting in the pews, you need to guard against the attitude of complacency, that you sitting in here, that's checking a box, and now you're good to go. And as soon as you walk out these doors, you can go back to living your life however you want as long as you come back every Sunday and make sure you check that box. That's, that's one of the tricks, too, is, is preaching to the people in the pews and not just railing against those who aren't. Yeah. Yeah, and so as listeners to the podcast and listeners in the pew on Sunday is to take to heart. It's, like you said, it's tricky. You know, it's, a, it's why we go to school for so long. Right? Yes. yes. To learn how to write a sermon. And sometimes we do it really well. Sometimes we don't do it so well. But the beautiful thing is, uh, one of the comforts I have is, you know, when I preach a dud of a sermon, is to be able to remember, ah, but we have Lutheran liturgy. And, you know, where my failings might be in the pulpit, at least the people heard law and gospel in, in the liturgy. And... With that, remember, Jesus is the bridegroom, and the gospel is right there in your church. We're blessed at Water of Life every Sunday to be able to receive the foretaste of the marriage feast of the Lamb in the Lord's Supper. And in fact, when you pay attention to the prayer after communion this Sunday, that's exactly what that prayer says. It says, thank you, Lord, for this foretaste of the marriage feast of the Lamb. That's the pure gospel. Yeah, and that's one of the only reasons I'm able to get into the pulpit every Sunday <laughs> is to know that, well, um, I'm going to do, of course, I'm going to do my best, um, but to know that sometimes, thank God that he works through the power of his word and he can work through my words, uh, but that it's not, it's not me, it's, it's him working through me. Yeah, and then maybe that's why as I get older, my sermons oftentimes get shorter because then I have less reasons to, to mess up. <laughs> uh, anything else on this text that you want to bring up? No, I don't think so. All right. So even though it says, was it like Pentecost 27, I think? Something like that. Yeah, it's something like that. Uh, we at Water of Life, we're still calling it like last judgment and so forth. That we're still in the end times, or as the theme puts it for these last few Sundays, uh, it, it's called the time in between, and we're gearing up to the last Sunday of the church year of Christ the King. So we'll wrap it up here. This is Pastor Michael Zarling with Pastor Nathan Klusmeyer at Water of Life. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wants the water of life take it as a gift. Stay thirsty, my friends, then drink deeply from the water of life.